0: I'm back from a reporting trip out west. I spent the last week filming in California for a brand new Conservation Nation episode that really digs deep into a really important issue, a perennial issue. I've kind of teased it. You can read some of my newsletters. I'll link to them to find out what exactly brought me out west and what issue we focused on. But very, very soon you're going to hear and see a new report from me. Very similar to the report I'm going to talk about and some of the impacts that my recent Conservation Nation report on Idaho's proposed lava Ridge project has had. I would like to think that our video report, the video Madison and I filmed, with the support of CFACT, also a sponsor of my podcast, what impact we had along with Fox News, specifically Jesse Waters and his team, and we're also going to talk about the kerfuffle involving the very brief suspension of Senator Steve Daines' Twitter account over a profile pic, a longstanding profile pic he had of him and his wife, of an antelope pronghorn, a pronghorn antelope harvest that she had. It was not problematic before, but for some reason, something was triggered and he got suspended briefly until Elon Musk intervened and rectified the situation. We'll talk about that as well, but let's dive deep into those issues and thank you guys for following along. A goal of any journalist, whether you're freelance or not, is to see your work have some sort of positive impact, whether it's repelling and responding to a bad policy, or perhaps shedding a light on something positive and making sure that change is enacted. And in the case of the Lava Ridge Wind Project, which is this proposed wind project that I have focused on, I've talked about it here on the podcast, and I've also interviewed and gone to... Idaho's Magic Valley to speak to stakeholders who are very concerned about this proposed win project. And as you may have seen, last month we published the video report. It made Fox News. It was prominently featured on Jesse Waters primetime. His team was fantastic in showcasing that. And they brought on Dean Diamond, one of the stakeholders we spoke to. And I'd like to think, in response to our video reporting, along with other national attention awarded to this very subject. It compelled the Idaho delegation, which was kind of flimsy. You would think Republicans would be early on board, you know, opposing a certain project, but sometimes they don't like to take definitive stances. Maybe they're enticed by so-called clean energy projects too. But it was really interesting to see two developments, likely in response to our video report and the national attention Fox News awarded to this very issue prompting the Idaho delegation to come out against the proposed lava wind project right near Minidoka National Monument and also fragile private lands and wildlife corridors and just that intermixing of precious public lands and fertile private lands in that region. And if you go there to this region, you'll see why it's really special and arguably magical There's nothing really like it, and when you have these big-scale projects, especially on public land, kind of go unaccounted for and and approved without any considerations, there's a lot of trade-offs and often negative trade-offs to proceeding with the project, no matter how enticing the proposed revenue that you may get, emphasis on may get, if this project were to come to fruition. These are largely out-of-state interests who create shell companies in these states, arguably red states, with a lot of public land acres. And they offer landowners and ranchers and others offers they can't refuse. It sounds great, you know, all this money for having a wind turbine to offset the cost of construction and the downstream effects that may come with it, largely negative downstream effects that come with these projects. But the people there are seeing past this. They see that this wind generation, this electricity generation from wind, Is not going to be felt by them. It's going to be shipped to California and Nevada. The big scale kind of magnitude of this project, 400 wind turbines standing as tall as 760 feet, the amount of concrete going into it, the amount of land that will have to be exploited and potentially ruined even to be able to construct this project, the amount of materials required for this. So Idahoans don't want this. They've made their stance very clear. And we've seen two motions on that. I'm going to read for you briefly this letter, and then I'm going to read the resolution from the Idaho legislature. That was kind of a round-up kind of primer on the issue. If you need a refresher, if you're just hearing about it for the first time, I'll include episodes and previous discussions, the video report, all in the show notes. But let's talk about this letter that came from Governor Little, uh, Lieutenant Governor Bedke, Senator Crapo, Senator Risch, and Congressman Simpson to raise concerns about Laveridge wind farm proposal on federal land. This is dated February 6, 2023, a week ago, and all these different aforementioned lawmakers, state officials, and also federal officials who represent the interests of Idaho. They are they had sent a letter rather to Karen Kelleher, Idaho State Director for the Bureau of Land Management, and they reiterated the lack of community support for this invasive big-scale project. And they are quoted as saying, Idahoans cherish the concept of multiple and mixed uses on their public lands. This requires conservation predictability of use, and most importantly, support from the local communities. These deep-rooted values are compromised by a piecemeal approach to large-scale generation projects on public lands, dedicating hundreds of square miles of public lands to a specific use will have a long-term effect on recreation, grazing, sporting uses, and the land in general, they say. And this is in response to the draft environmental impact statement. If you want to weigh your comments in opposition to Lava Ridge, you are welcome to do so. You don't have to live in Idaho to submit comments. Everyone from Idaho and outside of Idaho is welcome to do so. And if you want to submit comments, you can do that until March 21st. And I will include the notes for that. And their press release also continued, Affected farmers, ranchers, tribes, the Japanese-American community, and sportsmen have voiced legitimate objections. As it stands today, the local community predominantly has has not shown support for this development. They continued, and they conclude by saying, We urge the BLM to reassess and refocus the process on working with the local communities to address the concerns outlined above. They wrote, If all of these concerns are not addressed, it is unlikely we will be able to support this project moving forward. And let's talk briefly about this House resolution, and I believe it is deemed in the Idaho House of Representatives House Concurrent Resolution Number 4 by the Resources and Conservation Committee, a concurrent resolution stating findings of the legislature expressing concern over the proposed Lava Ridge project and supporting a no-build option. And I'll read, be it resolved by the legislature of the state of Idaho, whereas the U.S. Bureau of Land Management has under consideration an application from LS Energy to lease an extensive amount of acres of public land, Lava Ridge, in Jerome, Lincoln, and Minidoka counties. And whereas LS Energy plans to construct 400 wind turbines with a maximum height of 740 feet, I was a little wrong, I <laughs> increased it by 20 feet, my mistake, 381 miles of access roads, and the infrastructure to support their construction and maintenance. And whereas the height of the turbines will impact civil, military, and agricultural flight operations, and whereas the energy created by the Lava Ridge project is designed and planned to provide energy to Southern Nevada and California, and whereas the states of Nevada and California have tremendous open space that could accommodate this project and more directly move the impacts to the beneficiaries, and whereas Magic Valley economy currently has a shortage of housing, available workforce, and construction capacity capacity stressing the local markets needed to support the build-out of lava Ridge, and whereas local citizens and businesses are concerned about the impact of the boom and bust economy over a two-year period, whereas Idaho is required to protect all wildlife, this project area will severely impact the migration and habitat of local wildlife, and many, many more. They talk about the infringement to multiple uses, the infringement and in kind of intrusion it'll have on a very sensitive, like I told you, Japanese-American internment historic site, Minidoka, National Historic Site, one of 10 Japanese internment camps that was set up under the FDR administration, and they want to memorialize that. And this project would directly creep into that and invade that space, that very sacred, hollowed ground. And so you could read that resolution, you could read the press release, but we at Conservation Nation like to think we had a small part in this. It's largely due to the activists. We just told their stories, these important stories of these conservation stakeholders and this isn't just a conservative versus democrat conservative versus liberal or progressive or democrat versus republican issue there are people in this region who are not conservative like i said that largely i think those in the japanese american community who are wholly opposed to this project because of its encroachment on their sacred grounds And what I've talked to when I've talked to locals about, you know, the partisan spread, what is what does the makeup look like? Most of them say, well, we work with people who don't agree with us politically and we want to be sensitive and mindful to that. And so that's something we need to hone in on as well. So it's not a partisan issue to oppose these wind projects. I think environmentalists, if they had their priorities straight, they would. But we see time and time again, these preservationists, these status quo environmentalists who control the purse strings, wield a lot of influence, have a lot of powerful connections. They turn a blind eye to these projects because they're benefiting financially from them. And they say, well, we will kind of recoup for any lost wildlife with these payouts and we'll help rehabilitate them and take these in in a file for these take permits and all is okay. But if an oil company did such thing and they had a, a take permit for wildlife that would be affected by their potential projects, they would be screaming, Bloody murder. But it's funny, they turn a blind eye here with these more invasive, highly controversial projects, which will have far more of a toll than a conventional energy project would. Let's conclude today's episode with an interesting topic. Social media, you know, I'm not really one to be Like, yes, let's have government come in to regulate and rectify problems of social media. I'm very skeptical of that, even with my gripes with social media and just the leaning of certain algorithms that are, you know, bot interfaces, less human interaction. I think it's because there's less human, you know, interactions and dealings, everything is more automized. I think... Social media content, especially hunting and fishing content, is more subject to being reported as spam, deemed graphic violence, because there's a lack of a human touch with how the way we communicate with social media and on the back end of these, you know, social media functions and companies. And that I think is what happened here with respect to Senator Steve Daines. So we've talked to Steve Daines here on the podcast. I've interviewed him on several occasions. We've featured him on Conservation Nation. He's one of the most stalwart conservative conservationists. He's from Montana. And he's had this profile picture displayed for a long, long time. It's of him and his wife uh, with her pronghorn antelope harvest. And it was up for, uh, you know, at least six months from what I recall, maybe close to a year. And it wasn't problematic before, but all of a sudden Twitter locked him from access to his account, deemed that his picture constituted graphic violence. And it took a lot of negative backlash to what happened to the senator to have his account restored. And, you know, he's in a unique position. He's kind of in a privileged position that lawmakers can automatically have their accounts restored with more ease compared to regular users. And that happens, that comes with the territory. And I understand that Senator Danes doesn't want to just be the only person who benefits from intervention in this respect. But um, here is what he said in response. And I will also read to you what Elon Musk, Twitter's owner said in terms of amending this policy as it respects to graphic violence. So Senator Daines's account was reinstated ultimately because of backlash. And he says, I'm grateful to Elon Musk for reaching out to me to resolve this issue. And I'm glad he recognizes that free speech is a bedrock of our country and acted quickly to reinstate my Twitter account after being made aware of its suspension. The initial ban over the profile picture of my wife and me after a successful Montana antelope hunt was disappointing given the fact that this is no different than photos Montanans share on social media every day. It's our Montana way of life, and we are proud of it. I'm glad Elon Musk recognizes this. The rest of the country benefits from the acceptance of diverse thoughts and values, including Montana values. And I actually wrote about this at town hall for my VIP column. I'm going to read for you a little teaser of what I read. Elon Musk was quoted as saying the following after someone brought it to his attention. I think it was a conservative activist I know in Texas. He said in response to his tweet, this is being fixed. Policy against showing blood in profile picture is being amended to, quote, clearly showing blood without clicking on the profile picture. The intent is to avoid people being forced to see gruesome profile pictures. That's an understandable policy, but a nice group and grin, tasteful group and grin that didn't show any blood getting censored and deemed in violation of graphic violence is an outrage in itself. And Senator Daines is not the only person who has been subjected to this. I've had friends who have had their hunting content removed for no explanation. And it's largely fueled by, and I I speculate it's, this is what happened to Senator Daines. I think someone, maybe a political opponent, perhaps organized some sort of like shadow behind the scenes online campaign to flag and report his account as violating terms of agreement terms of service and they re- they probably mass reported his account for promoting graphic violence. That's usually what can trigger suppression and suspension from social media. It's a horrible practice. I wouldn't do it unless, you know, someone is actually in violation of social media rules, but a lot of anti-hunters and radical preservationists rely on this tactic and when the database becomes overloaded with these when the database becomes overloaded with these requests because everything is automated largely now, Twitter system likely was overwhelmed by these requests and said, okay, we've had all these requests, mass reporting, so we're going to suspend this account. We're not going to really give consideration, doesn't matter who it is, until a human can intervene or someone as prominent as Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, could intervene. And others who are not like Senator Danes have had far more egregious actions levied on them. A friend of mine, Jeremiah Doty, who I believe we've interviewed here, I've interviewed him on other outlets, but he's a wild game chef. He routinely has his content flagged. He's lost monetization rights because he shows how you debone animals, how you field dress, how you really work with your food, your harvest to have organic free range meat and subsequent meals and corresponding meals and dishes. And he is the target of this kind of mass reporting action. He's not the only one. There are so many other examples that I could point to, but I have friends in my orbit and contacts in my orbit who have told me that I'm getting removed or I have content censored because of these, you know, shadow campaigns to ban content like this. And it's almost compared to, often compared to pornography, uh, wild game chef posts, are, which is unheard of in the case of Senator Danes, it was compared to graphic violence and they're not by any means pornographic or graphic in nature whatsoever. And I think social media companies need an education. I, I wrote at town hall that this kerfuffle that Senator Danes was a victim of, and thankfully his situation was rectified. Yet we hope others who've been, who've dealt with a similar situation can have their accounts restored. If they're not in any clear violation of social media policies, of course, but it goes to show that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what conservation is and how hunting fits into this framework. Hunting is conservation. That's a popular refrain. I know it's a tagline for Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And many, many people use that refrain and they they demonstrate that hunting is conservation. And it is. You look at the monies generated from Pittman Robertson dollars that largely come from hunters and anglers. You see just different headlines too. One I want to point to is NPR in 2018 said the decline of hunting will imperil conservation funding as we know. And I'm merely paraphrasing the headline, a great article, an unlikely source, and even they recognize that. And others had similar things. The Pew Research Center wrote a great uh, piece on this as well. I think it was at the height of COVID, 2020, 2021. I will link to these as well. I, I would like to give you guys content. So I'm not just sourcing things randomly. I am backing much of what I say by articles I've read, content I've read, musings I've seen, We like to be fact-based here, of course. And so a lot of people, even unlikely sources, recognize that hunting is instrumental for conservation to continue, to have longevity, because you can't replace it with backpackers and campers. I know there's discussion about a tax, levying an excise tax on those goods. I don't think it could ever generate as much as, let's say, guns and ammunition or licenses and hunting and fishing adjacent type of activities that also fit into this Pittman Robertson jingle Johnson framework, but we have to, as a community, if you're a conservationist, we have to continue to do a better job because we have a lot of people in the middle who don't understand hunting's value. They don't understand the North American model of wildlife conservation that welcomes and encourages ethical harvesting of animals, I know some people don't like grip and grins. I don't oppose grip and grins. I've done grip and grins. I try to be very tasteful whenever I post things. I don't like to show gory, bloody shots. I like to showcase that the animal I harvested, I'm really proud. And that I'm going to put it to good use for making meals down the road. You know, I think it's okay to show it. Some people choose not to. And it's a controversy over whether or not to have grip and grins. And you're an elitist or you're weird, you know, if you like to show it or you're not conveying hunting in a positive manner. I think that's really foolish, ecumenical. Let people do it if it's legally harvested, tasteful, let people decide. But anything that's egregious or illegal, of course, is a very different matter. But hunting and fishing have seen kind of a new light or people have kind of renewed their interest in these activities, largely stemming from the COVID pandemic. A lot of people took to the field because this was considered the original social distancing and social media is a prime vehicle for people to learn about hunting, to discover how to fish, uh, look at resources. And if social media becomes a hostile place to these activities, it's going to be extremely difficult to convey to younger audiences who largely lean on social media, these platforms where they educate themselves and discover things, if this is totally obliterated or absent from social media, it's going to be really difficult to lure in new participants in an educational way if we don't allow lawful, tasteful content of these activities to be displayed. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player we largely circulate on apple spotify and countless others but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push make sure you're subscribed there especially on apple if you like the podcast a lot go leave us some reviews we'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys moreover we are on facebook instagram and twitter and a little bit on youtube we don't populate there but connect with us on social media find me personally on social media with blue check marks super easy to find. And I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.